Well, if you're not a regular here, then uh, you may not know, but I'm not the preacher here. Uh, I am one of the elders, and uh, Pastor Adam gives me opportunity every now and then to, uh, to share the word. And I, no matter how often I do it, uh, my palms sweat, my hands shake, and, uh, and just the... Uh, uh, I, I consider it a privilege and an honor, but it still just uh, just scares the death out of me. So, uh, y'all pray and say a little word for me. And uh, if you came just to hear the pastor, you can come back next week, and, <laughs> and he'll uh, and he'll be here. Uh, he'll be up here. Let's pray real quick, Father. We just thank you uh, for your anointed word. We just thank you, Lord, that it is power, that it is life, uh, Lord, that it is a sword, Father. I just pray, Lord, that every word uh, that's said, Lord, would be uh, what you would have it to be said, the way that you would have it said. I just pray open our hearts and our minds, Lord, and our spirits, Father, to, to let that uh, mirror, Lord, show us, Lord, ourselves, that we would look to you. Lord, as the author and the finisher of our faith, and we just praise you and we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are in, I'm not sure what week, fifth week, fifth week in the book of John, and we have made it to the second chapter, uh, so we're moving right along. Uh, you know, one thing that we haven't really done uh, that I just, because I kind of consider myself more teacher than preacher, I think. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think a couple of things about John that is a little different than the rest of the Gospels. Uh, it's written more from a theological point of view rather than a historical point of view. If you look at, uh, if you look at the other Gospels, uh, they follow a timeline and they follow a... Uh, well, a, a, a accounting kind of a thing, whereas John is a little more uh, spiritual, I guess. Uh, I know that six, six of the eight miracles that are recorded in John are recorded in no other gospel, uh, including the one that we studied last week about turning the, the water into wine. Uh, John is the only gospel that has that in it. Almost 90% of the dialogue uh, that's in John is in none of the other Gospels. So it's a little different. Uh, there's no genealogy. All the other Gospels have a genealogy. And and uh, in John, there's nothing about uh, birth, his, Jesus' birth or his youth or childhood or any of that. Uh, none of that is there in John, which separates it, differentiates it somewhat from the other three Gospels. So when you so when you're studying John and looking at John, it's a little uh, it's a little different deal. So as uh, Pastor Adam told us last week, uh, Jesus and his mother and his brothers and some disciples that he had started to gather up were at a wedding, and uh, he performed his first miracle, and that started that clock ticking. Uh, 
that started the beginning of his public ministry, uh, the beginning of him actually beginning to reveal himself as who he was uh, to disciples and others uh, publicly. So he left the, uh, he left the wedding, and, and at verse 12, let's put verse 12 up, Lane. Uh, it says, after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and disciples, and they stayed for a few days. This is kind of a transitional verse. It doesn't really have anything to do with what happened or what's fixing to happen other than it says that he just went down, and it doesn't say what he did while he was there. Uh, we do know that Capernaum was kind of his Galilee headquarters. Uh, that's where he based his ministry out of. And so uh, I'm not sure if he was just uh, taking a few days off. Maybe in his spirit uh, he knew what the next three and a half years were going to hold. Uh, he knew that uh, he was fixed to embark on what would change the course of mankind. I mean, he's, he, uh, he's fixing to uh, take all the sins of the world upon himself, and he's looking ahead to that. And so whether he was just uh, getting, I'm sure he was doing something. I don't think Jesus wasted time. I think he always had a purpose in what he was doing. So, But it doesn't tell us if he was praying there or, uh, or exactly what he was doing. But nonetheless, he spent a little time there with his family and with his disciples. Uh, getting ready to really launch into uh, into what he was going to do, into his purpose for for being on this this earth. So the next thing he does, let's look at uh, verse thirteen. Uh, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, and that's it's called the Jewish Passover because it was unique to the Jews. They were the uh, Jesus is our Passover. But uh, it's almost time for the Jewish Passover. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Uh, a couple of things uh, about this verse. This is another kind of it's telling us what's happening here. But uh, I think Jesus is modeling maybe a little bit of behavior here for us. And uh, maybe we can have a little fun with this. But... Uh, Jesus didn't, uh, because he was on vacation, he didn't blow off church. <laughs> He'd been up having some R&R with his family and his friends, but uh, when it came time for the Passover, uh, he did like what all Jews were supposed to do, and that was to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And uh, so he didn't think himself too spiritual, uh, he didn't think that he had been enough. You know, he, if you go, you look in Luke, it tells you that he had been to, uh, that he'd gone to Jerusalem for Passover ever since he was 12 years old. So uh, he didn't go, well, you know, I've been enough. I've, you know, I've been there, done that. And uh, so, you know, after all, I am the Passover. And so I don't really need to show up for that. Uh, but no, he was there. And the, Second thing you can notice about that 
is it says when it was almost time. He left early enough to get to church on time. <laughs> did, did I say that? Uh, Jan, Jan, I love you, honey. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, he, I mean, I don't know if he was going to go to maybe pre-service prayer or what, but he, but he got there, he got, and he left early enough that, so, uh, that he could, uh, that he could get to, uh, get to church on time, right, Denise, and, <laughs> oh, I see, it was her fault, right, okay, okay. so, uh, and so I think, uh, you know, seriously, what, oh, what do you, uh, do you model for your children to uh, be at church on time? Something to think about. Okay, so let's get into the real heart of what we have going on here today. Let's read the next couple of verses, Lane. Uh, so he's left, uh, he's left uh, Capernaum, he's gone to Jerusalem for the Passover, which is uh, the start of a week long of, uh, the Passover kicks off a week long of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and this is one of the three times that all Jews, males, are uh, expected to be there for this. So it says in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sit at, <clears throat> sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made <clears throat> a whip out of cords and drove them all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Uh, this is a departure from what we normally think about Jesus. Uh, you don't really think about uh, this side of him. You know, we, if you grow up, I mean, I remember in my little children's Bible, and you see the pictures, you know, and you see Jesus with the long white robe and the flowing hair, and he's holding a little lamb, you know, or, or something, and, you know, and all the... The, the pictures that you see of him are always uh, uh, tend to be genteel, and uh, but uh, we see Jesus in a uh, uh, a side of righteous indignation as he shows up at the temple, and so let's you know just kind of use your imagination uh, for just a minute. Back up the fourteen lane. Uh, so he arrives at the temple for Passover. This is a time of uh, worship. This is the time when the Jews are remembering being uh, escaping from and delivered from the Pharaoh in Egypt. And so he shows up there, and uh, there's cows and sheep and doves and 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 people doing business and these money changers. Uh, so just the sight and the sound of it, I mean, people are there to worship and 
you know, you got moo and bad. You know, we got, you know, I mean, you got, you know, you got this, this cacophony of, I mean, when animals are around, you know, this is what you hear. And then you got these guys uh, uh, sitting at these uh, tables exchanging money because you had to, uh, uh, your, your payment, your half shekel that, uh, that you paid as you went into the temple had to be paid in local, in local currency. And so the people that came from out of town, other countries and other places, uh, had to exchange this money. And they were charging an exorbitant fee to do that. Along with, and then if you just look at this whole system that has come along, what is really happening here is these guys that are set up uh, with these sacrificial animals, the priest and the 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 temple rulers are charging these people to set up and do this. They're charging them to examine these animals and certify them, so to speak, as make them worthy of sacrifice. And so there's a real enterprise going on here. This is this is big. This is business. This is turned into business. And so. Uh, and so you've got, so here they are, people are showing up to worship God, and what we have is a marketplace. What we have is a strip mall. Uh, inside, I mean, it's like, it's like we're in here trying to worship, and right out there is mooing and buying and cooing and arguing over, oh, you can't, I can't believe you're charging me that. So, you know, you've got a whole marketplace going on while people are trying to worship. And it's turned into a money-making deal for the priests and for the temple rulers. So, uh, I can see Jesus getting upset about that. I can see him having a righteous indignation about, uh, about what's going on here and why. And so we see, and I'm just, I try to imagine, you know, I'm, so I'm sitting there and, I'm, and you imagine what this sounds like and looks like. I mean, there are thousands of people everywhere. There's people going and coming, all, you know, and so now Jesus stops. I wonder what his disciples thought while he is, I guess, braiding this whip out of cords that he has found there I wonder are they looking at one another going what's that going to happen now who's what what is going on so because uh, it doesn't say that he says anything to them I mean it's there's uh, there's no uh, there's no dialogue prior to this so he makes this whip and he drives it out he drives out uh, drives out the cattle and the sheep, uh, he turns around to the guys uh, who are selling the doves, and he doesn't—he doesn't turn over their table. He—he he tells them to uh, go to the next verse. Uh, uh, so, uh, so he takes—he rakes all the money off the tables. He turns them over and flips them over, and drives the sheep out, and. Uh, 
And then he, uh, he turns to the guys uh, with the doves, and he says, get, them, get these things out of here. And so I just wonder, while all this is going on, I'm sure the, surely the disciples are just like, they got to be dumbfounded. I would be. I mean, this, you know, this would not be what I would have expected going to church with Jesus. Uh, but uh, so, so he uh, drives all these people out. He, uh, and I'm wondering why this goes unopposed. There's no resistance here that's recorded anyway. Because these guys, I mean, you know, your, uh, your average Israeli, you know, you know, you look at, watch, look at these guys, uh, you know, they're dark complected, got big old burly beards, you know, these guys are men's men. And Jesus is totally, I mean, he's putting them out of business. I mean, he is running them, literally running them out of the place. And there's not anything said, no, no resistance. No, you would think there would be uh, somebody would say, hey, we paid to do this. You know, these priests let us in here to do this. But, uh, but you, get, uh, you get no, no resistance. I'm going to say the reason is they knew he was right. They knew that this should not be going on in the temple. They knew that this is not what God's house was about. This is not uh, how you celebrate the Passover. This is not how you thank God from, for, uh, for your escape from Egypt. They knew that he was right, and so he did. He drove them out. And this is actually not the only time this happened again three years later. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so here we are. We've driven everybody out, and, and now everybody that I got, you got to think, is standing there uh, kind of dumbfounded at the whole thing. And... Uh, Jesus basically tells them why he just did this. He says, stop turning my father's house into a market. This is not a strip mall that we've got here. And, uh, and so I don't think there's any, there's any uh, doubt about his displeasure with this. And I think it's real interesting. I don't know that they caught it because of all of what was going on, but he said, this is my father's house. And I think at that point, nobody really still obviously realized what he was really saying, that I am the true son of God, standing, I am Emmanuel, uh, God with you standing right here present. So, you know, God's word is always, multi-leveled, multifaceted. There's always different things. You, you turn it one way and you see one thing and you look, turn it another way and you look at... And, and so what's, what's our take from this? What, what do we go home with from this incident when you, when you, when you look at what Jesus has done here 
Uh, I've just got one idea uh, about what we do with this. Uh, I thought about 1 Corinthians 3.16. It says, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And so my takeaway from this this week as I was as I was studying this and I was praying about this was if Jesus walked into my temple what have I allowed to be set up in my heart? What would, what would Jesus find going on in my temple? Uh Would I have allowed sin to set up in my heart to the point where I'm distracted from worship? Uh, I can't truly worship in, in spirit and truth because of the distractions that are set up in my heart. Sin, sin has a terrible exchange rate. It's exorbitant, just like the money changers. Sin, sin takes away from your ability to worship God. It, uh, it, it, take, it distracts from you uh, doing what you would do and be as a Christian. Uh, I know that there have been times in my life that I fail to witness because I'm convicted of my own sin. I don't say what I know I should say at the time. I hesitate uh, because there are things in my heart that I know shouldn't be there. So my prayer from this was that I allow Jesus to cleanse me, to wash me, make me whole to keep me centered on him because this has become the the status quo and the uh, you know like I said Jesus it tells us in, in Luke chapter 2 it tells us that Jesus had gone to Passover every year since he was 12 years old so no doubt he had seen this before. This was not the first time he had seen this, but now that he has, as that clock has started ticking on his ministry, this is no longer acceptable. So Jesus looks at us and says, you know, the old status quo has got to go. Things got to change. And... Uh, it should change. When we, when we go from being self-centered to Christ-centered, when we go from lost to found, when we go from blind to seeing, when we go from being on that big wide road that leads to destruction to getting on the narrow path that leads to salvation, uh, when we're no longer 
uh, dead in our sins and our trespasses, but we're alive in Christ uh, when we are no longer orphans, but we are adopted into the family of God, heirs with Jesus Christ and sons and daughters of the Most High. The old way of doing things ought to go. It ought to change. And there ought to be a noticeable change in our life. And sometimes it might even be a little painful. I think we all need to examine ourselves on a regular basis and say, where are we? Have I allowed things into my life? Have I set things up in my temple that Jesus would be displeased with? We need to move from that point to allowing Jesus to cleanse us and wash us and purify us and purge us from those things that separate us from being able to worship him in spirit and in truth and in wholeness. So, the disciples have just witnessed this and I think they're kind of just trying to take all this in. And then let's go to the next verse, Lane. Uh, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. You know, this is the second time I, when I was thinking about this. Uh, we saw in, in, uh, in chapter 1 the... Uh, these were, these were fishermen, and when they called, uh, when they were calling to each, uh, calling some of the disciples out, and, and they they ran to uh, to uh, Nathaniel and some of the other, they said, "We have found the Messiah. We have found the one that is written about in the law of Moses and in the prophets, uh, the Messiah." And I thought then, you know, these, these are fishermen guys, you know. It's not like today where, we, where you've got four versions of the Bible laying around the house all over everywhere. Uh, for them to know the Word of God, they had to go to the temple, and it's on scrolls. So, I mean, you, you don't just, you know, and, but these guys had studied the Word of God, and they had memorized enough of the Word of God that they... They recognized it when the Son of God was walking in front of them. And here, again, we see it, how important it is for us to know Scripture. Because here again, the disciples uh, have some reference. Uh, this, this verse, this uh, zeal for your house will consume me, uh, comes out of Psalm 69.9. Is where this comes from. Uh, just interesting enough, uh, Psalm 69 is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. Uh, but uh, his disciples knew this. They were, they, they were able to take from and draw from the importance of memorizing Scripture. When they saw this, they said, oh, a zeal. For my house, for your house, will consume me. David wrote that as a type, as a type of Christ 
because we saw that David, uh, the zeal for the house of God also consumed David to the point he embarrassed his wife dancing in the town when the ark came back. But uh, so we see the importance of, uh, you know, our, our mission statement is to lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, if you want to start down that road, start memorizing Scripture. You never know when it'll help you. You never know when you'll be in some situation somewhere sometime and the Word of God comes to you and you're able to understand the situation. You're able to speak into a situation uh, because you know the Word of God. Uh, and then I think for us, the question is, do we have a passion for the house of God? Does, uh, does, a, does a zeal consume us uh, for being at church, for being at, uh, at uh, the house of God to worship? Uh, does everybody around you that knows you, do they know where you go to church and why? Uh, does anybody show up? I mean, most of the folks I know are not going to show up at my house right now looking for me. Because I know where I'm not there. I'm at church. Uh, do your kids get up wondering whether, are we going to go to church this morning? I know I grew up with, uh, there was no need to ask that question. It was my, it was modeled for me. My my dad. Uh, it was understood from a very early age where we would be on Sunday morning. You didn't have to ask whether you needed to get ready for church or not. You just went in and got ready to go. Uh, other things, hobbies, interests that compete with your time to be in the house of God? Is it a priority? Does it consume you? Are you just at that point where uh, you really can't imagine being anywhere else on Sunday morning? So that zeal should, cons should consume us. Okay, let's look at verse 18. So here, now, I guess they've had a time, they've had a minute to kind of just soak all this in. And, and finally, uh, it says, The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority, authority to do all this? Almost a little current uh, things go around, but they never really change. Uh, you can see almost in current events today, uh, if what was done was absolutely so right that there was really no doubt that it should have been done and it ought to have been done, 
then your next tactic is to ask what authority do you have to do this? Who said you could do this? They can't really argue with what was done because they know that it should have been done. But so we'll we'll go to our second tactic, and that is what authority do you have for doing this? Jesus uh, looked at them and they demanded a sign and so Jesus gave them one. Destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. As is usually true uh, when they pressed especially when they got indignant and demanded an answer from Jesus. Uh, they got what they wanted, but didn't want what they got. It just went right over their head. Uh, they, uh, they said, well, you mean to tell me that it took us 46 years to, uh, to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three and what they didn't understand was he was he was foretelling what his ministry on this earth would be. He was foretelling why he was here and what he was doing here. And of course, they had no idea what he was talking about. But this stuck with them because if you go all the way to where he's brought before, when Jesus has tried three years from now, uh, this is one of the things that they bring up. They said, he said that, he'd tear, that if you tear down the temple, he'd build it back in three days. They used this against him at his trial three years later. So they demanded a sign, and he gave them one, his, his uh, death and his resurrection. And uh, the uh, John who's writing this 40 years after it happened. In retrospect, John gives us a little hint here so that we know what was going on. And he said, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. And so now we're able to read this and we go, oh, I understand. Uh, This is what this is all about. And uh, lots of people... Some of the commentators think that when Jesus said that, that he was actually going to tear down this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. But they still, like I said, they only had the physical uh, temple in mind. So uh, when I think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it, uh, it humbled it just uh, what he came and what he did and what he sacrificed for me. Uh, and so now the disciples once more, or John, we see that uh, we see the, the disciples raising, uh, uh, being, recalling, remembering scripture one more time. It says that uh, after he was raised from the dead, 
His disciples recalled what he said, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So we see the disciples remembering scripture again, remembering what Jesus had done as these things were etched and they were burned in his mind. And it turned out to be a powerful combination. Because shortly after his resurrection, when the disciples remembered all this, and now it says they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken, it turned a bunch of sniveling deserters into what Jesus had been training them to do for the last three years, and that was to be the guys that saw to it that the gospel of Jesus Christ went to the very ends of the earth. And so with the power of the Holy Spirit and remembering and believing in the scriptures and believing in what Jesus had done, uh, we see a whole new creation. We see, uh, we see guys that now believe that they're more than conquerors. You know, they believe that they're the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, because just a few days after this, after Jesus' resurrection, Peter gets up, preaches a sermon, and when he gets done, 3,000 people are saved. And what kind of faith does it take for Peter and John to be walking through the temple and look at a guy and say, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I'll give to you. Stand up and walk. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful. We thank you, Lord, that your word is a mirror, that it's a light. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that it's a sword, Lord, that divides even the marrow and the joint. Father, it divides the, our spirits and the intents of our hearts. I pray, Lord, that your word would stay with us. I pray, Lord, that we would endeavor, Father, to remember your word and to know your word that it would be powerful lord in the time that that you would allow us lord to use it father to bless people lord to heal people father to have faith lord in every situation because of the power of jesus christ in our lives in jesus name we pray amen <laughs>